It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I remember my father arriving home from town one day and telling us that he had just met Christy Ring delivering oil to O'Donoghue's garage in Castletown Bear. To him, and to me most definitely, it was as if Ronaldo, Messi, Pele and Maradona all rolled into one had been there. Without telling anybody, I ran back into town just to get a glimpse of him, but alas, the hurling maestro had departed. 100 years and 9 days ago, Nicholas Christopher Michael Ring, Christy Ring, the greatest hurler ever, was born a mile outside of Cloyne in East Cork. This evening on Where the Road Takes Me, we begin a two-part program to honour a man once referred to as a force of nature. We'll meet teammates and opponents of his, those who knew him and those who knew him well, and those who learned from him, not all of them from Cork. We'll also hear from Tim Horgan, author of Christy Ring, Hurling's Greatest. But regardless of who they are or where they come from, all are in agreement that Christy Ring was one very special and unique hurler. All are in agreement also about the shock and sadness they felt at his sudden death in 1979, a little over the age of 58. Where the road takes me, it awaits you once again this evening. So step right in and thank you for joining us. During his playing career, Christy Ring collected 14 Cork County titles, one Monster Club Championship medal, eight Senior All-Ireland medals, four National Hurling League medals and 19 Railway Cup medals. A fantastic achievement in itself. But what hurler nowadays would be named as full forward on the best hurling team of the year and also named hurler of the year, all at the age of 38? Amazing and unimaginable. Because of his skill and achievements, Ringy, as he was affectionately known as, amassed a huge band of followers and fans from all walks of life. In a past edition of Where the Road Takes Me, that great Cork entertainer Billa O'Connell told me about a mutual appreciation society between Christy Ring and Jack Doyle. Billa at the time was organising the entertainment for the Country Club Hotel in Cork, 
and managed to book the gorgeous Gael himself, actor, boxer and singer Jack Doyle for nine consecutive nights. While everybody wished to meet Jack Doyle during those nine nights, guess who Jack Doyle wished to meet? But so I tell you, I was out in the brewery one morning and Chris ring me and I'm proud to say we were good friends, Bill and Ringy, and said, Bill, I'd love to meet Jack Doyle. Chris Ring wanted to meet Jack Doyle. I said, you can put your shirt on the bar. I said, you'll meet Jack Doyle. I went up to Jack Doyle that day, Ringy. He was like a little child that I got to meet Chris Ring. That's the truth. Both of them have now. So I remember meeting Ringy outside the Metropole, following my car up to the country club, and there's Jack Doyle waiting for him. And I went up that night to do the show, and Jack Doyle taught me they had their lunch they had their dinner Ringy didn't leave till about 5 or 6 o'clock and that was from 11 o'clock that morning and every night when Ringy uh, when Jack Dyke came up on the stage he was able to tell everybody I met Christy Ring yesterday he was like a child over meeting Christy Ring Talking about Christy Ring and I know you're a huge Bars fan so obviously you're a hurling fan was he the greatest hurler you ever saw? Well he was the greatest I ever saw anyway yeah. and I mean that though oh he was class and uh, different times now there was great hurling that time tough tough class hurling as I say, no, he never missed summer rivers. Would you believe that? I just have to think of this story how this happened. He never missed the 21 years of rivers. I heard that he was in, we say he was in Wednesday night. So I met him in town down by the Grand Parade uh, about a week after. Come here, sorry, how's you been last week? I was, he says, and you're slipping. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. Well, say fair play to There's one honest man anyway. The other be saying, Billy, you're great, man. You're the best that the world are. You're slipping, bang. What type of man was he? Uh, I found him a very gentle man to speak to. But a lot of people think he was shy. Well, maybe he was shy. But I loved his company. When I was with Beamish, with my car down in uh, East Cork, I used to meet him when he was a traveller for Shed. And I tell you, you know, he was a, a brilliant, brilliant character. During his sporting career, and certainly afterwards, Christy Ring has been compared to many sporting greats. But former Gaelic Games commentator Michal Amirahertig, famous for his colourful comparisons, compares him to Antilonoc, the islander, to Mosa Crihan, a native of the Irish-speaking Great Blasket Island off the coast of Dingle. O'Crihan wrote two books, the most famous one being Antilonoc, which was completed in 1923. When he was convinced to tell his life story because they weren't capable of reading at the time, it was always in school. And he decided in the end, and the only reason he decided to do it, like Christy Ring in a way, he was a shy man. He said, sort of, I will do it. And he just spoke, and the words were written down by a Mr. Kelly from Killarney. That would be for the island man. It was the same with Christy Ring, you could say about him, Ni veg a leheid the likes of him will never again be seen. And as a hodler or a sportsman, the likes of him was never seen before his time either. So he had that long span, and he loved the game of hodling more than anything else. Christy Ring was born in Kilboy, one mile from the village of Cloyne in East Cork, on the 30th of October, 1920. Soon afterwards, the family moved to the village and took up residence at Spit Lane. Tim Horgan is a retired teacher and the author of a number of books, one of which is Christy Ring, Hurling's Greatest. The book, which traces his career, also deals with the hurler's unique charisma as well. 
Now, his father, Nicholas Ring, was uh, married uh, Mary Lott and uh, raised five children. Two girls, Katie and Mary, and three boys, Willie John, Christy and Paddy Joe. Nicholas Ring himself was a gardener and he worked with a popular landowner who was also a horse breeder and was very interested in uh, hurling, especially the client hurlers when they got around. That was Charles Creed. He was a very popular man and uh, Nicholas and himself would probably have had great talks about hurling uh, when there were breaking when when there were chances Nicholas used to uh, cycle to the big matches regularly with young Christie on the crossbar which must have been very uncomfortable they even went as far as uh, the athletic rounds at one stage cycled up and cycled back again but um, on the way Nicholas used to talk about hurling and that seemed to be the main main subject and he taught all the great hurlers to to Christy what they were like Udy Collin Jim Hurley Jim Regan Dinny Barry Murphy the Ahern brothers and the greatest of all at the time Jamesy Kelleher who was in Dungorny at the turn of the century and he he made a national team out of um, Dungorny and as a matter of interest uh, one player on the uh, Dungorny team Tom O'Mahony he became the grandfather of the one and only Shawnee Leary uh, which, which, which was very good Am I correct in saying then that he was only 12 when he played for Decline Miners? Yes that's quite yeah. true and in fact he, he uh, played in goal his brother and um, Paddy Moynihan were in the full back line but the big opponents uh, saw how small Christie was he was well able to save but they charged in on him and uh, upset him very very much but they only did that once because the two brothers made sure they protected uh, Christie from um, big, big uh, attacks like that. But Christie uh, was in school. He was considered very bright, intelligent and diligent uh, as a pupil. And that was said by the teacher, Michael O'Brien, who, uh, who played for uh, Klein uh, himself. One year, Mr. O'Brien said, Mr. Morris Spillane, the schoolmaster, put up a hurley for uh, a prize for the pupil who got the highest grade in the school. Now, there were 48 pupils there, and Christie was only 10 years of age. Nevertheless, he came first, even against the older boys, and uh, he won the prize. And that was a great prize, because uh, Hurleys were in short supply. And up to then, Christie had used the Hurley that uh, was cut down to size by his dad for him. Dual player Dennis Collin can also look back at his playing career with equal amounts of pride and satisfaction. It would take up a sizable amount of this programme if I were to list all of Dennis's honours, but suffice it to mention five All-Irelands, one in 1973 for football, four for hurling, including the three in a row from 1976 to 78, 12 monster titles and four All-Star awards. His autobiography, entitled Everything, has just been published. Dennis considers himself lucky when I mention Christy Ring to him. After all, as well as being a friend of his, Dennis was a club mate at Glen Rovers and St. Nick's. He played beside Christy Ring, and during his time as a cork hurler, he reaped the benefits of Christy Ring, the selector. Yes, John, I did. In fact, I think I feel very privileged to have known him uh, as much as a, as a retired hurler as I did when I was playing. And I often watched him needless to say growing up, but then uh, I also had uh, the honour of playing with him on three or four of his last year, the beginning of my career, uh, 1964 to 1967 inclusive. So um, I treasured those years, just watching him and being close by him and um, learning from him all the time uh, in terms of how he used to do things on the field mainly. 
I never had really had much chat with him during those three or four years. And life was different then, and even dressing rooms were different. <laughs> you went to your own place, and you 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 stayed there until you were given the instructions. But I, I really felt privileged having, um, when he had retired, um, that I got to know him so well off the field as a person. And he was such a gentle person, which... Um, was extraordinary in the sense that because he played in, a, in an era when, when, when it was really manly stuff. And I suppose it, it's fair to say, Dennis, that, uh, you know, players, not just hurlers, footballers, soccer players, golf, golfers, etc., on the pitch, on the field, they leave their heart there. And off the pitch, they tend to be modest and shy and reserved. And that would be a good description of Christie, I would imagine. Yeah, I think you're very correct there, John, in saying that um, he was a, he he was an extraordinary person on the field. Uh, anything that was his sole focus and uh, and his whole mind was on on the game that he was playing in at that time, and in preparing for it, and even talking about it afterwards. But when you met him then socially, which I mean socially would be. Uh, at, as I did later on at training, um, at matches, I'd often meet him in town and so on. He was um, the most gentle person that you ever met, quite shy, genuinely quite shy, but at the same time um, was always very interesting in his conversations. You, you'd listen to him and always had something um very wise to say and very practical to say. And so he was a great conversationalist in that regard on a one-on-one situation. It was very good, yes. Yeah, and further to, to, to that, what you've just been speaking about, most of the photographs that I've seen Christy Ringan coming off the pitch, he has either a bandage or a sling, which gives you an indication as to how much of himself he left on the pitch. That's true. <laughs> I suppose it's a terrible indictment of the, of the time that they played in. But you really, uh, in fact, that's very interesting because sometimes uh, during my own career, particularly at the, the beginning of it, you felt unfulfilled unless you had a cut over your eye <laughs> or somebody didn't hit you. But as long as you didn't break anything, but there was blood, you you you, you were um, you felt that you had... Uh, um, crossed over, or you, you're no part of the the real era. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Christy Ring once said that hurling was only half dressed without Tipperary. The rivalry was intense, but the respect for each other was mutual. Former Tipperary hurling great and manager Babs Keating's attention was first drawn to Christy Ring in 1952. But as a minor in 1960, it was an honour for Babs to be on the same pitch in Thurlis as Christie. Babs as a Tipperary minor and Christie in a senior Munster final against Tipperary. So I was up close to Christie. And same in 61 and the same in 62 were both played in Limerick. So I, 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 I certainly a first-class view of, of Christie, every aspect of him walking out in the field. And I, you know, it was a bit like Jimmy died. When, when Jimmy tells his story, John, Oh, he, Jimmy used to go watch him play as well, yeah. Jimmy used to wait outside the field in Torlis because Jimmy only lived across the road from Simple Stadium. And it was enough for Jimmy to see him walk, to see him talk, to see him in every aspect of the way Christy, Christy Ring behaved. That's, that's what Jimmy looked for. No, no one else of the of the 30 players in the field. He watched everything about Christy. And uh, he was fascinated with Christy, as you were entitled to be, because, like, look, 
years of the things he did in life, the things he achieved on the hurling field was were incredible. And what do you think made him stand out from the remainder on the pitch? Well, John, he was. He, we didn't look at other sports in those early days, but the one thing he had, he was an athlete first. You see an athlete walk. You see an athlete when they step out on the field. Now, even even the photographs of Christie, you can see the balance he had. Now, that was the part. But if he had the other ingredients, the great strength he had, he had no fear. Like I spoke to John Dyle about marking him, and Dyle took a breath. John was a big, strong man, now, six foot two, and built accordingly. And he said, Cheers, lad, he said, when the ball was dropping between Christie and me, he said. And he showed me exactly, he said, I used to have to stand, stand under that ball and actually brace myself. It wasn't enough like, for to be just casual about it. Christie was so strong. And we'll hear loads more from Babs Keating later in these programmes. The Christie Ring Story Part 1 continues on Where the Road Takes Me after the break here on C103. A little over a century ago, not just Cork's greatest hurler, but the greatest hurler ever was born. Christy Ring was born in Cloyne in East Cork on October 30th, 1920. To him, victory was everything, but when it didn't happen, he was never shy of heaping praise on the opposition. Remember earlier what he had said, hurling is only half-dressed without Tipperary. Christy had admirers of his playing skills from all over the country. Former Tipperary hurler and manager Babs Keating spoke earlier about the honour of being on the same pitch as him in Thurlis in 1960. Former RTE GAA match commentator Michal Amurahertig now tells me that another member of the Tipperary Christy Ring fan club was that great hurler Jimmy Doyle. I just called to Jimmy and Thurlis, you know, on occasions, a good few occasions, really. He was great company. He was a quite shy man as well. And he told me that they lived very near Semple Stadium. And Cork would often be playing in Semple Stadium and uh, Glen Rovers would be playing there and Christy Ring played for Glen Rovers and Cork. He'd go into the field, he'd wait until the referee decided who was playing this way and that way. He'd move to the side where Christy Ring would be on. <laughs> and he'd watch nobody else right through the first half of Christy Ring. At half time, he'd switch himself to the other side, knowing that Christy would be there. And everything Christie did was was magic to him. Uh, and he held that admiration for Christie right through his life. He told me even one day after a match, he followed the team. And he was very young at this stage. I don't think the parents knew where he was going. He followed the team when they came out of the dressing room, followed the team to the hotel. His object was to see was Christie the same as the others when he was eating. <laughs> and he discovered he was. And he was maybe... A bit disappointed. That that was the way with them. And uh, strangely, when Christy Ring died and uh, Jimmy was a much younger man, he was 20 years a younger man, and years later when he passed away, the only thing found in his wallet in the pocket was some euro, I don't know whether the euro or maybe even pounds, that's a euro, and the memorial card of Christy Ring. That's all that was in that wallet. Nothing else mattered to him but Christy Ring. And the strange thing is, Christie was 20 when Jimmy was born. They finished up playing together in the Railway Cup. 
and that happened in 1962. They were both on it. Jimmy for his first, and Ringy was there. He was going, I think, for his 17. That time they won it, and Jimmy was on it. He gave me great indication of, you know, how he was. They were staying in Barry's Hotel. Jimmy went to bed early. He was shy after the man, and he'd be, you know, he was worried about this big match tomorrow, and I'd be playing with Christy Ring. There were three beds in the room, and Jimmy said, I went into the corner bed. I was up in bed early. Eventually, Christy arrived. He was carrying a hurley. Didn't say anything to me. He knew I was awake. He just lay down in the bed in the middle and started hitting a slitter wall to all, <laughs> never catching it. And Jimmy said, I was mesmerized. I was like what I was at four years of old, going across the road to see him. And then when Christy had enough done, jumped out of the bed, made a swipe with the bulb that was the middle of the room, no shade on it. He didn't mean to hit it or anything. He didn't hit it, but he got it swinging, you know, with the swish of the hardly past it. With that, he threw his hurdle in the ground, looked over at Jimmy and said, I'm ready for tomorrow. Are you ready? Christy Ring was a great clubman overall for Glen Rovers. He was liable to turn up at any event in camogie, football or hurling, regardless of what age group were involved and regardless of where it was held. Nora Newman was born in Ahabolog, but was adopted by the Glen Rovers Club and quickly became involved in camogie. Nora, as president of the camogie club, recently celebrated her 90th birthday. She's a wonderful character, with this beautiful Northside lilt. The whole family, she tells me, were close to Christy, who was a regular caller to their home. Christy was so popular, like man, woman and child got to know Christy. But like, you were down at some of the Glen games and you know the, the women that were going to the game just to see Christy ring because they had a pile shoes. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't prepared for the elements. <laughs> he was a gentleman, really. He was interested in a lot of sports, like at the time he'd soccer matches, there was something going on at the time. And like, he'd have a laugh, as I remember, you know, at the time, my husband, uh, he was my boyfriend at the time, and like Christy would say to me, oh, you're very unlucky to be stuck with a soccer player, you know. <laughs> but you would just ball hop again. But like, in later years, then getting to know his wife Rita and his family, Christy and Mary. I mean, Mary has won numerous honours with us. Mary is, was great, really a great club member. She really followed in her father's footsteps. Mary and Christy are as modest as their father, I believe. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Very quite unassuming. Got the job done. I remember one, I think it was 1990, the Glen Cogitin, we had to go up to Swatra in County Antrim to play um, semi-point of a club all Ireland and there had been a big a shooting up there the day before so it was very upset up there and while we were playing there was a helicopter actually flying over our heads it was daunting no life in thinking back to it yeah. and you could actually see the rifle like out of the side of the helicopter now they flew over us for I'd say most of the game but it was we were winning by a few points and we just couldn't kill the game, you know, one of these games that you can kill it yeah. for one reason or another. And Mary would usually be playing full-back with her position. Well, she was a great full-back. And we had moved her up into the forward line. And after a while, as I said, we were struggling to get that goal to go. And the next thing out of nowhere came the goal. And it came courtesy of Mary Ring. And I remember turning to her. 
It was her husband, and after her boyfriend at the time, Mark, and saying to him, Mark, there's only a ring with Jewish. In a former life, while working as a bus driver with CIE, now Bus Aaron, I had the pleasure of working with the late inspector Paddy Martin. Paddy was affectionately known as the champ because of his boxing career. His son, Michal, is the current Taoiseach of the country. C103's GAA reporter, Finbar McCarthy, has spoken to Michal Martin about the close friendship that existed between his father and Christy Ring. On a personal level, you're a very proud Nemo Rangers man, and I've seen you many and many Nemo Rangers match, but your family has a very strong connection with Ring, and you've often referenced that. Absolutely. We were rare than Ring because my father was a personal friend of Christie, played with him in Gaelic football terms with St. Nick's, the sister club of Glen Rovers, lost four county finals with him, and um, had great stories uh, around Christie, both in terms of the matches. Uh, there was one occasion, apparently, Christie broke his jaw or something like a game of dig, and Christie said it was my father's fault because it was my father's man gave the, the dig and the father was out the field acting the man as Christy might say trying to make a name for himself <laughs> and there was, there was other great stories and interestingly the father went into hospital to see Christy on that occasion and the father brought with him uh, a biography of Igmar Johansson famous Swedish heavyweight boxer but Ring gave the father a kind of a dressing down that like it was your fault that Shemazel was in the square you weren't around Paddy he said when that went on and if you hadn't gone out the field that could have been avoided here he says read that and Christy went into his drawer in the, in the hospital bed and pulled out the same biography of Johansson <laughs> and did it to the father you know there are these kind of stories that we are reared on and uh, the father often spoke about his competitive spirit uh, and in fact Christy left CIE to get the job at SO I think my father then took Christy's job driving that that's when my father went into CIE uh, and drove the lorry force and then the bus drivers, yeah. But that friendship endured for a long, long time, Michal. Oh, a long, long time. And my father had just great affection for him. And, you know, that's why we were always told there will never be anybody as good as Christy Ring. That was kind of the mantra in our household. And it was a funny, other funny stories. When we played with Nemo then, we played a minor hurling game against again. And Christy was on the sideline. His son was playing with the game. <laughs> he tried to the father. I said, your son should be out here in Blackpool, not, not out with Nemo and so on like that. And uh, they had great times. And I think on a, uh, I remember the, f- the day of the funeral well, I, 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 because my twin brother got to go to the funeral with my father. And that time you never saw your father cry that was just a rarity in those times that wasn't kind of the thing and my twin brother said to me dad cried today uh, at in Klein at, at the funeral you know and it just left a um, big impact on us uh, growing up and I think you know from, from that perspective in many ways the father would say they were privileged to be in the company of Ring uh, to have grown up in that era and you know all the great Glen Rovers names uh, the Lynham's Jack Lynch of course um, Vince, Vincey Toomey lots of them they were all kind of rolled off the tongue as, as we grew up as children so we great respect for St. Nick's we great respect for the Glen and the spirit of the Glen uh, and extraordinary achievements in terms of county championships Munster Club uh, Cork victories. Mary O'Brien, now Mary Sheehan, grew up on Fair Hill. Her father and Christy were very close friends, and the family would travel to matches with Christy. Her father and Christy were like-minded people, Mary says, non-drinkers, non-smokers, and possessing a passion for hurling. When I got to know him more so was my mother was a, a very passionate Kerry woman, and but was of great interest in hurling, and before the 1976 county final, I distinctly remember him being in the house. And at the time, we lived in Fair Hill, and we had a kind of a hatch into the kitchen. And I remember my mother being inside the hatch and he being outside. And he had this knack of getting 
opinions from everybody. And he said, like, my mother was Maureen, the daughter of Martin. He said, Maureen, what do you think, like, about mentioning a Glen Rovers player? And I wouldn't like to mention him now. My mother said, I'm, I'm afraid his legs are gone. And he went, I think the same. And he said, and what would you think you could do in that situation? And she kind of gave her opinion. And this is a thing that he, I discovered subsequently. He would have this knack of getting information from people. We would go, like, she, she, she died suddenly two weeks after the county final and I remember him coming up and saying I can't believe it like she was in there you know not so long ago and we were discussing the match like after that we used to find him at home a lot more and I just thought he was I, I was passing but he wasn't actually passing he was calling on my father because I was my brother and I said there was only two in the family and obviously it was a national loss to us my mother dying suddenly at, at, at an early age and he would always say he was passing but he wasn't actually passing he was being the good Samaritan and a good friend and Dropping in. Dropping in and, you know, he had this, how would I say, like humanity about him that I suppose his public persona on the field was of the tough man and, you know, go through the wall and, and all that. But like he was actually very, he could be very kind and gentle. And this is the side of him that I would have known more than obviously. I was too young to remember him as a hurler. But we'd go to matches then on a Sunday, like whatever, cock matches mostly. I suppose the funny side of it was he had no patience with being in a traffic jam. All right. <laughs> and you can imagine going to the matches like in the, in the 70s. Like There was lines and lines of traffic and he'd be always kind of leaning out the window, watching ahead. And if he saw a car move out, he was gone. Like we often used to say we spent more time on the wrong side of the road going to matches than on the right side because he knows where he's going. And I remember saying one day, like, but Christy, he could be going home to Pristina, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he might be going, I will go anyway. And so like invariably, so he was never stopped by a guard or if you were stopped, like, so they waved him on, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did Christy Ring live close to you? No. No. We lived, at the time, we lived in Fair Hill. Yeah. And they, they lived, the Rings lived in Ballon Temple. And... Like, of course, he was with his work. He would be around the place, but there was nowhere near us that had anything to do with his job. Do you know what I mean? No, I mean, he obviously enjoyed the company and the, the chat. But, like, I remember on several occasions going to matches and he'd turn around to me. Like, I was only in my late teens. There'd be, like, my, the, the two of them would be in front, my father, Dave O'Brien, and, and myself would be in front, and then myself and my own brother, Stephen, and then Mary and Christy. The four of us would be in the back, sure. There was no seat belts or anything then. And, but he had a big car, so we always had plenty of room. But he'd turn around and he'd say, Mary, what did you think? And you're kind of going, oh, my God, like, Christy Ring is asking me my opinion of the match. And you'd be kind of saying, oh, if I said the wrong thing here, no, my father will kill me, you know? Yeah. But I'd say something like, we'd say, oh, such a fella, like, I, I did notice that he was blocked down three times on his left hand. And he'd kind of pause for a minute and he'd go, you're right. But he would take your little snippet that you might have picked up. And the next time then he played against this particular person or whatever, he'd ensure that the person was standing on that side because it was obviously that he couldn't hit it off that side. You know what I mean? He was never behind the door and getting everyone's opinion because he kind of gleaned information from you that he would use to Cox and Glen Rover's advantage, you know? And wasn't it nice that he involved you in the conversation? Because at that time, children were not supposed to be heard in the company oh, no. of adults. No, hmm. no. Like, and that's, that's what I mean. That's what his, you know, thinking is that everybody had a contribution. And I think everybody saw, as my father used to always say this, that 95% of the people who go to matches don't know what they're looking at. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that might be a bit disparaging, but my father genuinely believed that, that like, you know, people go to the match to enjoy it. They're not analysing it. Like, I think Christy was well ahead of his time in his thinking about, I know, I know we have statsmen and we have all that now, but like he had this, I'd say, incredible brain that he could absorb. He could nearly replay a match blow for blow, you know, which, which is a gift. 
And I, I would think of a highly intelligent man, you know, had a fantastic brain that was never probably tapped to a proper extent, you know. Mary Sheehan from Dublin Hill bringing part two in programme one to a close. Coming up after the break, more from Tim Horgan, Babs Keating, Michaela Murahertig and Dr. Con Murphy. The story of Christy Ring continues on Where the Road Takes Me. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This evening on Where the Road Takes Me, we feature the Christie Ring story. It's a two-part program which continues again at the same time next week. We're celebrating the birth of a hurling maestro, just a few days over 100 years ago. Well, it was obvious that Christie was showing promise as a hurler at a very young age, even though not all noticed his potential talent, but some obviously did. The first of many medals to be won by Christie Ring happened in 1934 at the annual Glenbower Festival, Christie was 14 years of age. The story is taken up by Tim Horgan, author of Christie Ring, Harling's Greatest. That was a very popular festival. People came down by train from Cork and the intervening stations and came across from Waterford as well. It was a very big thing. And then another teacher came on the scene when Jerry Moynihan from Ballangiri joined the client teaching staff. He decided to reform the adult junior team. At that stage, Christie had joined St. 
Enders minor team in Middleton. The reason was simply there was not enough fellows of minor age to play for Klein. Jerry Minehan was a great influence himself on, on uh, Christie's uh, future. He could see that young Christie had rare talent and exaggerated skills. Willie John Daly told me that he first saw Christy Ring playing for uh, the, for St. St. Enders at the Pond Field in Carrickpool. He said Christy was an outstanding wing-back for St. Enders and he particularly remembered the great Middleton mentor, Christy Duggan, who got excited on the sideline any time Christy would be on the ball. Whenever Christy did something good, Christy Duggan would roar, Come on, Christy! Come on, me little flower! Christie was ignored when he was 16 going on 17. When it came to the final, he was brought on, which was being played in, in Killarney because they were building a, 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 the Cusick stand. When, when Christie was brought on to the uh, panel, he got on, on the bus. Tony Slattery, who was playing full forward for the Cork Miners, uh, he sat next to Christie, and Christie didn't open his mouth all the way from the Opera House to Killarney. Mm. That, he didn't get any medal from the All-Ireland team. He, he was given the jersey, number 26. And when Tom Powell, who was a Middleton mentor, when he attended the county board meeting where uh, he got very annoyed when um, he was told that Christie would be getting his uh, 26th jersey. Tom got very ratty and he told him, look, Christie Ring is one of the best minor hurlers in Cork. He should be playing, not sitting among the subs. And he was told by the top table people to sit down. But as he sat down, uh, Tom could be heard saying, time will prove me right. Time will prove me right. And indeed, he was definitely right himself because we know what happened afterwards. Most people agree that Christy Ring was the greatest hurler ever to grace a field. But the debate around it will always continue. And what about the great hurlers of today? It's a different scenario, a different setup. And there are those who feel such a debate is unfair to the likes of the Pat Horgans, TJ Reeds, and Joe Cannings. And then what about Mick Mackey? To get a handle on all of this, who better to ask than Michal O'Murra Well, the debate is they were all fantastical, every one of them. But I'd say to a man, and followers of all descriptions, men and women, young and old, they all agreed that Christy Ray. Mick Mackey was often edgy in there. There were two different types, but they were rivals and they were friends, if you could put the two things together. They were both terrific for the game at the time. But uh, people like to talk about them. Like they talk about great golfers or great rugby players or great soccer players or great runners of anything you like. You know, they're, they're really good. They stand out and people stay with them, you know, while, while they're capable of playing but uh, Christie was there for a long time he, he's a Cork County medal in football didn't think football would come near hardly and lots of people would agree with that as well but he was involved all the time and um, he was a, a half back in the minor team he had fantastic confidence as well I got to know him later in life but he had great confidence on the minor team of 37 he was selected as a half back now, because his brother told me this after Christie died, they got a 21 early in the game, and it wasn't Christie's job to be taking the freeze, but he raced up the field. The ball was in the 21 line at the time, and somebody else ready to take you, and Christie said, I could score a goal from that. You know, and the goal was lined, you know, I could score a goal from that. So whoever was due to take it stepped aside, and Christie struck. And I said to the brother, did he score a goal? Of course he did. 
That's what he did. He, he scored many a goal, and you know, goalkeepers got the better of them at times. And I remember they played a lot of games in Dublin. Dublin were not bad at all. Maybe in the in the forties and into the fifties, and they reached the final in '61. Could have won it, but uh, Christy Ring often, if he'd score a what you'd call a great score, he'd give a few bounces in the air on his way out, you know, jumping sort of. And then um, the Dublin goalkeeper, the time. He'd do the same thing then after taking the puck out. He'd be leaping into the air, imitating Christie. They'd be sort of at each other that way. But it, it was great to see him, and I saw him play many, many a game. The friendship between Christie Ring and former Tipperary hurler and manager Babs Keating was enhanced by the fact that they both had the same jobs, working for oil companies, Christie for Shell and Babs for Esso. Babs says that they met regularly for a bite to eat and a chinwag in Mallow. What used to talk about when you when you met up? Hurling, I suppose. Hurling and, and a bit about the job because we, we were both covering the more or less the same territory and I suppose you could you could say really, John, that was was a time when there was a humanism in the in the eye business in certainly in Cork because we had a great relationship. I didn't trouble his customers and he didn't trouble mine. So he didn't have to worry about Esso <laughs> taking one of his customers and um, there was a lot of, a lot of change at the time and we both worked for the two top oil companies. We 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 both had market shares of, of certainly between twenty five and thirty percent each at that in those years. Like the oil business was, was controlled by Esso, Shell, BP and Maxwell to a lesser extent. It was one of the, the smaller companies that you see today. So we have plenty to talk about, John. Often wondered, Babs, and maybe you can shed some light on this. What do you think Christy Ring would make up of the setup of today? The size of panels, diets, sports psychologists, backroom squads, training, etc. What do you think he'd make of that? Well, I would prefer if you turned it the other way, John, <laughs> and, 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 and say, what would the present squad think of Christy Ring today? Because I can tell you, John, as Cork goes to Turles today, Christy Ring was wearing number 15. Walford would want to bring a carpenter with him with the ball they were playing with. That's the first... That's the first change, because they want, as I said, a carpenter to barricade the goal, because when you see what Tony Kelly did last week with the ball we're playing with, Christy Ring, if Tony Kelly was able to score 17 points, Christy would score probably about 4.17 with the ball they're playing with today. It's a joke. It's, it's a joke. And, and, and it, while I have been questioning the, the way the ball travels and the distance, and it was only this week he came to life with Martin Brownie. If you go back to tip, uh, Limerick and, and, and uh, Clare last week, they may score 34 points. Clare scored 24, which is 58. There was 24 wides and six line balls, which meant that you had no play. The ball was out of play more for about 90 times during the game. And if you had the freeze to then, if you had the referees and the decisions, Christy wouldn't understand what was going on. And it's hardly better for No. There's a generation like myself with Harry Bother going to a match again. And I speak to any Kehler, he agrees with me. I speak to many, to many of the players, Eamon Cregan agree with me. Hurling is finished. And the sooner, John, the fellas that people in, the, in, the, in different county boards, hurling counties, that think like Christy Ring and love the game that Christy Ring played, the sooner those get together and take over the game of hurling and not, and, and, and not allow somebody, somebody run the show. How anybody 
So anybody could introduce a hurling ball. The league goalkeeper drove it 140 yards in Cogar. Now, if that's hurling, I'm baffled. When you ask me about squads and, 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 and what's happening, and, and uh, Christy didn't need sports psychologists, so he didn't need masseurs because he was so strong himself, he was really injured. And I, I presume and, diet wasn't that important as it is now either. No, because the, the hard work. Like, yeah. When you think of Christy driving a, a truck, he was riding one of the larger trucks in Shell with no power steering. Now, the guys today wouldn't be able to turn the wheel on those. Now, the mind say, reverse it in or guide it into to tight corners and water would last. They couldn't imagine what it was like to drive in a heavy fuel truck with the weight of that, with no power steering. He had two arms, and they were like power takeoffs in a, in a, on a tractor. He was so <laughs> strong. I can only imagine what a great inspiration Chris Deering was to players who had the honour of playing with him. Even today, 41 years after his death, I would imagine that he is still an inspiration to players, especially in Glen Rovers. And who better to have an opinion on that than a former clubmate of his and a winner of five All-Ireland Senior Medals and a bucket load of others, Dennis Collin. Of course, he, he is, John. Where, he be, where I saw him as a great inspiration was um, with Kirk Hurlers when he became a selector. Not only did he just become an inspiration, but he really came out of his shell because even though I, anybody playing with the Glen and who was on a Cork team would have been used to him, but to, to see the other players, whether it was from the Bars or Black Rock or from Nemo Rangers or Bishopstown or whatever club they were playing with and they were playing with Cork, they would have got to know him uh, really well then over the three or four years that he was with Cork in the mid-70s during the three in a row. So from that point of view, I was delighted that uh, it was uh, great for players outside of, we say, the Glen that uh, were able to talk to him he was talking to them and see how what a nice and lovely man he was and very forthcoming which is his advice on the particular position that you played in he could tell you exactly in a couple of words what your duty was and how you were to carry it out and he never overloaded you with information or anything like that I'd say at maximum no matter what part of the field you were playing in he gave you two pieces of advice to carry you through the game and once you knew that's all you needed because your head was clear, just keep those two things in mind that he would tell you about. So that was a, a really good part and that came out of Chris during retirement and coming uh, from uh, as a selector on the, the team. People, uh, players got to know him who would ordinarily not have ever met him or they'd heard about him. On a recent edition of the programme, we featured Dr. Con Murphy, Cork's GAA doctor of over 40 years, who has since retired. He did, on a number of occasions, mention Christy Ring, but I felt there was more to be gleaned from him, and I was right. Well, I was very young when I saw him play. I mainly saw him play with the Glen against the college and, and other club matches in Cork. I saw him play a few times for Cork. I was lucky enough to go to the Railway Cup with my father and Jim Hurley, who was a famous Cork hurling legend as well. So from my age, I would have seen him more than most. And I mean, he stuck out every time you saw him. Then when I came into the Cork scene in 76, I had a good portion to sit beside him at all the matches for the next three years and that was my experience how I got that role was one I took it on myself to sit beside him and two he was very excitable on the sideline and it isn't everyone wanted to sit with him (laughs) (laughs) so I was quite happy to do it Somebody said to me that uh, during his time as a selector with the Cork Senior Hurling team and between 76 and 78 that he made a number of decisions or switches that actually won 
the game for Cork. Would you go along with that? I mean, you were close to the action. Yeah, I'll tell you a good story about that. One stuck out in particular. But just to go back to the first match that I was in the dressing room with Christy Ring. At halftime, I was sitting over in the corner with Jimmy Barry Murphy. Jimmy was only a sub and he came on the second half and Christy came over and he said, to think I'll come down from my holidays for this match. He said, I'm wasting my time. <laughs> 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 that, that was the start of the three in a row. But afterwards, he famously said, "We should. We got very lucky in that match. Ball hit the post, and I'll have you against Tip." And after the match, he said, oh, "We should play the next game in Lourdes." But in the final that year in '76, I was sitting beside him, and he made the move to put Jimmy Barry Murphy on the forty, which won the match for Cork in effect. Uh, I was walking around in the middle of the field after the game, waiting for the cup to be presented when Ringy came up and grabbed me and he said, Murphy, you're the witness. I won the game for Cork. Dr. Con Murphy. And that brings the story of Christy Ring, Programme 1, to a close this evening. But Programme 2, the final programme, can be heard on Sunday evening next at the same time. My thanks to everybody who took part. A special word of thanks to Mary Newman from Glen Rovers for her help in gathering together the stalwarts from the club. Doc Martin was in sound, and thank you also for sharing a piece of your Sunday evening with us. Between now and Sunday evening next, make sure you have a great week, but ensure you have a safe one as well. From myself, John Green, Slonga Fall. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.